You guys, welcome to episode 59 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and more importantly, not so well-known. Hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. How are you? I hope you're doing very well. I am very, very, very fucking excited. Uh, also, really, really, really buck and on edge and uncomfortable right now. Um, right before I started recording this, something really fucking weird happened. And uh, I just feel like I need to share it with you. Um, actually, you know, it, it, it may continue throughout. I don't know. I don't know if it's even over with yet. I'm talking about it like it was the past and it feels like I'm very much living in it. Um, I sat down to record this episode. I got my water ready. I got my pile of cough drops here, you know, the essentials. And uh, this guy comes and knocks on my door, like pounding on my door. And he's like, Bridget. Bridget, where are you? <laughs> he, like, he sounded like an old, like, I don't know, like one of the hillbillies from Wrong Turn. Um, throwback horror, horror reference, anybody? Um, but yeah, it was like terrifying. So I, of course, being the, uh, you know, the final girl that I am, I opened the door with my baseball bat sitting next to the door, of course, and my, night, my nightgown. And uh, I was like, hello, sir, how can I help you? And he goes, Bridget there. And I was like, sir, I don't know anybody named Bridget. And if I know anybody, if you and I have any sort of mutual friends, my life has taken a turn that I need to turn it away from. Like, I've fully, fully, fully made some poor choices in life. Like, what can I do for you? And he's like, you need to tell Bridget, give me a call. And I was like, sir, I literally don't know a single, I, I don't have a single friend named Bridget. And he goes, um, he goes, well, do you know who owns that SUV outside? And I said, I think it's my neighbor's SUV. It's my neighbor's car or something. I don't know. And then he proceeds to tell me that he's repossessing her car and that she needs to contact him so she can get it out of the impound or whatever the fuck. I don't know. I don't know Bridget's life. Uh, but I was like, I will not be telling her anything about that because we don't make eye contact or speak. And uh, I feel uncomfortable telling her that her car got repossessed. Um, it feels very personal. Um, but yeah, he was like some crazy hillbilly from, who was like a fucking, uh, bounty hunter. And, uh, he found Bridget and I don't know, the whole thing was insane. Uh, this isn't what you're paying for, by the way. I fully understand that. But like, you need to understand that you guys are basically now my therapists. Like this is very much Tony Soprano sitting in his therapist's office. Like that's what our dynamic is now. So like, I need you to just like sit through stories like that for me to make me feel better. Um... You guys, I'm really, really excited about this episode. I I don't know. I went into it not thinking that it would be... I had kind of a Charlie Sheen moment. Not because it's dark at all. But because I just... I don't know. I kind of sat down thinking, like, I would just kind of whip this up. And, like, I don't know what the fuck my problem was. Like, that's, that wasn't possible. But, you guys, we're going to be talking today about Usher and Chili. Um, A.K.A. Rosanda Thomas. And um, I'm really excited about this. I have wanted to talk about this for a really long time. Confessions is one of my favorite albums in music history. And I've always been really fascinated in this couple. Um, you know, they were sort of like, you know, they were a little, a little bit of like the Black Britney and Justin a little bit. You know what I mean? Like two extremely established artists in their own right coming together and being cute and chic and like very of the time. Um, and their breakup was so fucking controversial and messy, and 
misinformed and I don't know, I, I learned things about their breakup that I thought I had known for, f- you know, 15 years or however long it's been. Um, I didn't know anything. I thought I knew all the things and I didn't know anything. So, I, I don't know, this was super, super fun to, to research. Of course, I went way too far with my TLC research. You guys, we're talking about TLC today. Can we sit for a second and just like sit in that? Can we live in that moment? I'm talking too fast because I'm so excited, but you understand. We're talking about TLC today, you guys. You understand what it means. You get it. Come on. TLC. Ugh, crazy, sexy, cool. They mean everything to me. And we're talking about TLC today. I'm so excited. And I overdid it. But, you know, they deserve it. If there's any band, artist, singer, actor, whatever, model, doesn't matter. Anybody that I've talked about on this podcast... If there's anybody who deserves, who deserves a good, good episode dedicated to them, it is T.L. fucking C. Am I right? Like, ugh, I just, ugh, I I can't. We're going to talk about Left Eye. We're going to talk about TLC. We're going to talk about Usher. I'm going to tell you right now, though, um, Usher's life's just a wee bit too crazy for me um, to just kind of fit into one episode. So I have a sneaking suspicion that I'll want to talk about Usher again um, and his current situation and his ex-wives and like the shadiness of all the things, um, his ex-girlfriends and the cheating and all this stuff. Like this alone, I took about 20 pages of notes and I was like, you know what? I have to stop. This is going to be a four hour episode. People, uh, I have this weird thing in my mind where I feel like you guys listen to this episode or this this podcast like on your way to work or something like that's what I've always assumed uh and it's like you know you're you're you can only stop and play this so many times before it's like all right how many days until we finish this episode do you know what I mean not everybody knocks it all out in one session some people revisit podcasts over a period of time sometimes I'll take months to finish a single podcast um I don't know why I'm why I just said that but uh, I don't know why we're here, but we're here, and the things are happening, and I'm just, I'm just very, I'm excited. I think I'm excited because I've been covering such dark content for, I don't know, like a month, or like two months, with Charlie Sheen, and Brooke Mueller, and Heather Locklear, and Denise Richards, and Anna Nicole, and Demi Lovato, it's just been like downer after downer after downer, and it's like, let's have some fucking fun, shall we? I mean, my god, like, a simple cheating scandal at this point feels like a trip to fucking Toys R Us, I don't know, like, I just need some light-hearted, good old-fashioned, early 2000s, rhinestone-studded, Ed Hardy, Dunienberg bowling bag, gay old time, you feel me? Oh, God. All right, let's just get into it. Let's just do it. Let's start. I'm excited. I'm too excited. I'm talking like I just injected my body with a upper. Um, Usher and Chuli technically first met in, like, 1993 when Usher was first signed to uh, his record deal at 14. At the time, Chuli was 21, but they didn't date for a really long time. Um, They realized that there was something between them in 2001 when Chili starred, starred in uh, his music video for You Remind Me. You know what I mean? So at that point, they had known each other for like close to a decade almost. Um, they were on the same label. They were good friends. And uh, 
you know, she wanted to wait until the boy's balls dropped a bit. You know what I mean? Like, he became a man and suddenly she was like, oh, okay. Um, and they had a really complicated breakup. Uh, you know what? There were some cheating rumors and at the time Chili alluded to him cheating. Um, a lot of people believed that there was some sort of love child involved and... I'm going to give you all the things. I'm going to give you all the tea. We're going to talk about all of it. Like, I've spent a very large portion of my life not knowing the real story behind Confessions and, you know, what went into that the recording of that album. And I cracked the code. Your boy pulled a Nicolas Cage and um, this is my national treasure. And I cracked the code. <laughs> the Illuminati is shaking because I'm at their feet. Um, I'm at their feet? No, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to say I'm on their heels. But, hey, I'm I'm down to take part in some sort of weird ritual in order to be a part of the Illuminati. Like, who do I have to kill? I'm down. Like, let me know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, as you may recall, the title track for the album Confessions led people to believe that, uh, you know, there was some... Some uh, some side piece, side chick baby stuff happening, and uh, I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, Usher blamed a difference of lifestyle on their breakup, um, which is, uh, I guess you could call cheating a difference of lifestyle when you want to be in a committed relationship and your partner doesn't. Um, and I just want to say right off the top that, like, you know, I may or may not allege some things in reference to some allegedly straight men's sexuality and I just want to say that I am not by any way shape or form trying to become some sort of fucking 2004 Perez Hilton I am not in the business of outing people I'm in the business of reading shit on the internet and taking all of it as fact because you know me like literally all it takes is a person like in the same room as something happening and uh if that source claims it God damn it, it happened. No, I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, uh, there are, like, some really weird, like, usher sexual rumors that just are unavoidable, and we've actually talked about it a little bit on this podcast before. We're also going to be talking a little bit about Diddy, who also has a lot of weird sexual rumors surrounding him, and if you listen to the episode that I recorded with Liz Bentley about uh, Corinne Steffens, then you'll know that, you know, this isn't, this shouldn't come as any sort of surprise to you. This is something that, you know, people have been talking about for as long as I can remember. Uh, my mom was, like, obsessed with Diddy when I was little because it was, like, the 90s and, like, the Mace era and stuff and whatever. And I remember, like, some some of my first memories of, like, hearing this person's name, like, Puff Daddy. Um, people talking about him being gay. Like, it's just always been a thing. Um, other rappers have outed him. I mean, it's, like, a thing. Uh, but... We'll get to it, and we'll talk about it, and you guys can let me know what you think. Like I said, I'm not, like, trying to fucking shepherd P. Diddy out of the closet or anything like that. I'm just talking about alleged things with you, my friends. Um, I'd like to kind of start by talking about Chili, if we could, because I've got a lot to say about TLC. Your boy basically wrote the unauthorized bio biopic of TLC here. I hope that Pebbles doesn't sue me, um, but we'll see. Uh, so, Chili was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Her father, Abdul Ali, is Arab, and her, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, he's Arab and Indian, 
and uh, her mom is black. Uh, her dad's race was this weird topic of conversation in the 90s because, you know, Chili was very open and honest about the fact that she didn't know who her father was. Um, she met her dad in 1996 and she allowed it to be filmed on Sally Jesse Raphael. Uh, it was truly iconic. It's on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, it's like gut wrenching. I remember watching it when I was really little and like not understanding because I was, you know, she was actually my favorite member of TLC and, uh, I just, like, couldn't... Uh, none of that made any sense to me because I was, like, too young when that was happening. I think I was in, like, kindergarten or first grade. And then I got older and realized how insane it was that she, like, live-streamed her meeting with her dad for the very first time on, like, the most popular talk show on television. But we have to talk about TLC because there is no... There is no... There is no talking about Chili without talking about TLC. So, like, let's just fully get into it. Um, TLC was originally formed by a record producer named Ian Burke and a teenage as uh, aspiring singer named Crystal Jones. Um, they came up with the idea of creating this, like, all-girl group that was sort of tomboyish and hip-hop-inspired, but also did the whole, like, 90s New Jack Swing thing like a Belle Biv DeVoe or like Tony 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 like Jackson or Janet Jackson was like really like really super heavily influenced by New Jack Swing and she was kind of making it mainstream and um there was an, a request for two additional members to join the group which was answered by Tian Watkins and Lisa Lopez uh, the original name for the group was Second Nature, and they immediately started working with Jermaine Dupri on, like, demos. Uh, they wanted to kind of shop a mixtape around, obviously, and try and get a record deal. At the time, uh, Tion, a.k.a. T-Boz, worked at a hair salon, and this is where she met Pebbles Reed, who was the wife of L.A. Reed. Uh, Pebbles had just created her own record company called Pebitone, and they arranged an audition for LaFace, which was Babyface's record label. And Babyface Baby was very much just like, in the 90s, not only was he just like this giant artist, but he was producing everybody, any black artist, he was doing their music, basically. Like any R&B, hip-hop, new jack, soul, funk artist, like Babyface had some sort of hand in their careers. Um... On top of the fact that he was this huge charting, like, solo artist himself with this, like, iconic voice. And, uh, yeah, I mean, things pretty drastically changed as soon as they were signed at the label. Um, L.A. Reid loved Tian and Lisa, but he was, like, not feeling Crystal and didn't think she was a good fit. But, all tea, according to Crystal, things actually went south when Pebbles drew up these, like, fucking batshit crazy contracts, and she wouldn't allow the group to take them home. Um, by the way, these are, like, 17 and 18-year-old girls. Like, actually, they all, I think, were 18 at this point. One of them may have been 19. But they were young. I mean, these were, like, kids, basically. And she drew up these, like, fucking dictionaries, you know, of contracts, of stuff that they 
you know, would be obligated to do and say and money that they would owe her and all this stuff. And they had no idea what they were reading. So Crystal asked if she could take her contract to her mom because she's fucking 18. And, uh, you know, she was like, I just want my mom to be able to read this over. And they denied it. And Crystal ended up leaving the group. And um, Left Eye and T-Boz, obviously, you know, they signed their contracts on uh, February 28th of 1991 with Pepitone. Um, They recorded their first track as guests on a record for another artist that had just been signed as well named Damian Dane. And this is actually where they met Chili. She was hired as a backup dancer for Damian, um, who was brought in as the third member. And at that point, they were basically just looking for, you know, like a pretty young girl to fit like this third slot in the group that they had already had this very specific sort of image idea for. Um, And the thing about like TLC that I find really fascinating in comparison to a lot of other girl groups is like, you know, these were really young girls, but they were very, very specific as to what they wanted to look like, what they wanted to sound like, you know, even though they were like being milked like cows basically and having their money stolen from them which we'll obviously get to they were very in control of their image and like what they what they wanted to put out into the world like they were young girls but they were really 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 obviously super just sort of inherently inherently talented like they just knew you know they like already knew what the they knew what would sell they knew what would work they were very like authentic to who they were and um For marketing, LA and Pebbles wanted to keep their name as an acronym, so they changed them, and that would be where, you know, Tian became T-Boz, Lisa became Left Eye, and Rosanda became Chili. Um, They were signed to LA Reed's record label, LaFace, and um, through their deal with LaFace, they were obviously hired, they hired Pepitone, Um, so they were like, all in. And, like, I don't know, reading all this stuff and doing all this research, when I took a step back from all of this and just sort of realized, like, you know, these girls were totally swindled and bamboozled by an entire family. Like, it's honestly crazy. Uh, You know, they now have Pebbles as their manager, um, Pebbles' husband as the owner of the record label that they're signed to. And then a bunch of people around them who are like cousins and, you know, twice removed cousins and sisters and aunts and uncles that work for them, um, that work for L.A. and Pebbles that are like handlers, basically, that like are going around with them and essentially controlling them. Um, They were fully controlled by this family, this like Svengali family. And I actually read a really interesting or no, it was I... No, yeah, 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 sorry. (laughs) I read a really interesting interview with Crystal Jones uh, from 2013 where she talked about her involvement in the beginning of the group. And she said, well, basically what happened was that we ended up at this attorney's office that represented Pebbles. It was myself, Tian, and Lisa. And as we were sitting there at the table, uh, and just keep in mind that we were 18 to 19 old kids, And by that time, Pebbles had already did her little thing and kind of got us out from under the management contract that we were currently under with a gentleman by the name of Ian Burke. So it was just the three of us. We had no representation, nothing. 
So we're sitting at this giant table and I'm going through the contract and I'm looking at it and the legal jargon is so, you know, over my head. I'm a child. It's lengthy and I didn't understand it. And so I kind of turned to Pebbles and asked her, you know, can I take this contract home and have my mom look over it a bit? And she said, no, absolutely not. So I didn't sign mine. And the thing about Crystal was that she thought, you know, the girls had kind of like talked beforehand and were like, we're in this together. Like none of us are replaceable. And if anything happens, like, you know, we're together, like we're sisters, we're going to support each other or whatever. And, uh, then she found out that they signed their deals and didn't even really tell her. And, like, Crystal was the one that put them together. Like, she was the one that came up with the idea to start a girl group. She, you know... I, I mean, like, she came up with, like, the idea of wearing, like, baggy men's clothes and, like, all this stuff. Like, she was like, we, we've got to be, like, hip-hop inspired. Like, you know. Basically, she didn't get any of her comeuppance. She didn't get any of her due. And in that same interview, she talked about how, like, you know, as a kid, obviously as, like, a 19, 20-year-old kid, she was livid and angry and hated them. Um, and their success boiled her blood, obviously. But then she got older and realized that she was, a, you know, she was still a part of something that was crazy. And, I mean, they were broke anyway, which we'll talk about. They were making no money, so it's not like she was missing out on some incredible lavish lifestyle they had nothing so you know i think that as an adult she probably kind of like came to terms with it but that's got to be tough man that's gotta be tough to be 19 you don't even have a frontal lobe yet you're capable of murder your brain isn't fully developed you're a monster and you put this girl group together you know come up with like an image they fucking wedge you out and then they go on to become the most successful girl group in music history. It's like, fuck. You know what I mean? Um, so, TLC released their first album. Oh, on the TLC tip. Iconic, by the way. Left, Lisa Left Eye Lopez named that album. And God bless her for naming it. Oh, on the TLC tip. Like, that's everything to me. Um, it came out on February 25th of 1992. And it was certified quadruple platinum. And sold 4 million copies in the U.S. And uh, the singles from the album included Baby, Baby, Baby. Probably my second favorite t favorite TLC song. Um, what About Your Friends, Hat to the Back, and Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Iconic. Amazing. And uh, this was also where they um, they met Dallas Austin. Um, the, the album was mostly written by Dallas and almost entirely written by Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Um, but one of the things that I didn't know coming into this was that Left Eye wrote all of their music. Like, she literally is the writer on all of their songs, and that's something that we will definitely talk about here coming up very shortly. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, again, just to kind of hammer it in, like, one of the things that fascinates me so much about this group is that they were so young, but they were so instinctively smart, and they had you know, these very specific goals about marketing and how they were going to look and, you know, what they wanted their image to be and all these really controversial things that they wanted to sing about because they knew that they had a platform and that they, you know, they were going to be role models. So, you know, instead of like 
singing about being rich or being hot or about boys or whatever. They were singing about like safe sex and, you know, being strong, fucking powerful, independent women. And they were 18 year old kids. Um, now, they came up with the idea as a group to really sort of lean into their like individual characters in the group, if you will. And musically, they incorporated elements of each one of their individual characters on each song. Um, so each song on their debut album had a hip-hop element that represented Left Eye, an R&B element that represented Chili, and then just this like New Jack Swing like funk element that represented T-Boz. And that was their formula. Every song had to have it. And that was like their thing from the beginning until, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say that this is the end of their careers. They occasionally get back together. Um, but it's always been their formula. And they also came up with the idea to mix and match these like, you know, brightly colored clothes. And they wore condoms all over their clothes as a way to empower young people to practice safe sex and to feel comfortable buying condoms and asking for condoms if they need them. Um, you know, this was a peak in the AIDS epidemic and, you know, in the beginning of their careers, like left eye always wore a condom over her left eye is like a, you know, a statement. And that was really controversial. Like, it was controversial to even acknowledge AIDS at this point as an artist. You know, to show any support for the gay community was unheard of. Unless you were Madonna, like, literally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, again, to be 19 and 18 years old, like, that was pretty fucking crazy. And, like, when you look back at photos of TLC, like, they obviously fit into such a perfect sort of, like, 90s time capsule that you forget what was happening with other girl groups at that time. And it's almost like it feels like every girl group looked like TLC because they became such an iconic um, sort of like template for a, a girl group, you know? There were all those groups in the 90s, like in the late 90s, especially in the 2000s that, used to, that would copy them, that used like futuristic images and themes. And there were three of them and there was a bunch of groups like that. But during this time, when they came out in the super early 90s, girl groups were all really, like, feminine, and they were, like, really girly and sexy, and they kind of just, you know, swayed their hips back and forth and snapped their fingers, and they were, it was a very specific sort of, like, aesthetic, and TLC were young, and they were, like, tight-bodied and gorgeous, and they wore men's clothes, and... They were just so authentic and, like, sort of unique. Um, I read in an interview, like, a more recent interview, where T-Bus said, We wanted to empower young girls to have their own stash of condoms and not to leave it up to a guy. Some parents thought we were telling their kids to have sex, but we were making a fashion statement to make it easier to talk about it. And Chili also said in the same interview, During that time, so many people were getting diagnosed with HIV People were talking about it, but not really talking about it, if you know what I mean. As role models, we knew we needed to start to state that in uh, our careers and start a conversation. And, I mean, that's just fucking incredible. Like, that's a scary topic to cover during a time when there's a stigma behind it and nobody really knows anything about it or why it happens. 
you know, it's, it's like known as this like promiscuous and also like homosexual disease, you know, and they were these like kids that were like, fuck that. Ask your parents about condoms. People are dying. Um, they went on an international tour with MC Hammer. They were his opening act. And during that time, Left Eye and Chili discovered that T-Boz had sickle cell anemia, which if you know anything about TLC, you would know that T-Boz essentially put sickle cell on the map. Uh, I remember like so many women in my family, even personally, like, you know, there was a dialogue started about sickle cell as a disease that mostly targeted black people. Um, as a side note, by the way, like anybody can get sickle cell, but there's like this weird misconception that only black people get sickle cell anemia. And that's not true. It's just, it's found in black people because, uh, it like the, the strain of the disease originated in Africa. So a lot of, it's just been passed along in people's families. My family has a lot of traces of sickle cell anemia, I know people in my family who, like, you know, around this time in their lives and their, like, you know, early teens were diagnosed and then they later in life got really sick because of sickle cell anemia. Like, it's it's a bitch, you know what I mean? And it's not something that you just kind of, like, get over. Like, it constantly affects you. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So... Go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast. You'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week. You'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast. Um, you'll get me and Molly's uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special. You'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon. It's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.